might turn to Luke chapter one. Um, so uh, I'm in a grow group. Uh, we meet at, at our house uh, on Thursday nights. And uh, we've got a couple, um, we've got a family that, that's in there. And um, the dad's name is Jeff. And they've got a couple of young daughters. And um, we love Jeff, love his family. And uh, Jeff was in the news about two and a half weeks ago. Um, you may have heard it. He, uh, he was up in Alaska with his father-in-law and uh, they were hunting in Kodiak. And um, so anyways, Jeff was up in Kodiak with his father-in-law. His father-in-law, born and raised uh, up there, lives there, um, hunted for years and years and years. And they were going to go out hunting. They, they do this every year. Um, and in the, in the process, they were attacked by bears. And, and um, so anyways, we met, our girl group met on Thursday night. And we always, we start with a meal. We have some food. We talk about life and kids and jobs and all that stuff. And then we go in the living room and we uh, talk about the Bible and talk about the sermon and all that. But this Thursday night, the center of attraction was, was uh, everyone wanted to hear Jeff uh, firsthand. So he'd been in the newspaper, been on the local stations. Um, two weeks ago, he was on Good Morning America in the morning. He walked into church. I'm like, hey, how's your morning going? He's like, yeah, pretty good. Uh, we just had to get rid of Good Morning America at the house and stuff. Yeah, you know, like most of you do. Um, so anyways, so uh, and, and someday, hopefully in the future, we'll get Jeff up here himself to kind of tell you his story and how it went. But, uh, but anyways, we were at our house and we all gathered in the living room and we we're like, okay, Jeff, you have to tell us, tell us the whole story. Now, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. He'll tell you that in the future. But just so basically he and his father-in-law, some other guys were in Kodiak uh, in Alaska. They were hunting. Um, and uh, they, he and his father-in-law were uh, on the small island and it's very, very hilly and uh, lots of brush. And they, had, they killed their deer and they were heading, uh, gutted it out and they were heading down to the water and it was all downhill and they're like, you know, this is great. It's all downhill. We, maybe we can get another deer on the way down. So they're kind of looking around and, and uh, stopped to have some lunch. Now, the, the guys that they were with were uh, on a boat uh, down on the water and they could, through binoculars, they could actually see um, up in the mountain and see everything that was about to happen. And what they saw were um, three bears that were nearby, Jeff and his father-in-law. Now, they were having lunch in a little clearing that wasn't even as big as this stage, which was really dense, thick brush all the way around. While they were sitting there having lunch, uh, they, uh, one of the bear um, came across the scent of the deer. And according to the guys who were on land, began to just make a sprint right towards them. So he, this bear is, is hauling down this hill, going toward them. Um, they begin to hear it coming. They get up with their guns. But according to Jeff, they were standing there he says he never really saw a thing. This bear came barreling out of the brush, grabbed onto his father-in-law, and they were off. They were like back into the brush and he could hear him going down the hill a little bit. Um, by the time Jeff caught up with them, this bear had a hold of his father-in-law's leg and was just throwing him around. He said, just like a rag doll. It was just really scary, really crazy. So, so the bear is attacking him, his father-in-law. Uh, he loves his father-in-law, which is a good thing. Um, so he's got his gun, but he's got to try to get a clear shot. So you can imagine all the adrenaline. They've, they've been doing this for years and years. Seen lots of bear. Never, ever seen a bear attack. So Jeff gets back, waits for a clear shot, gets a shot off on the bear. Uh, first shot doesn't take it down. Wade gets a second shot. Second shot takes the bear down immediately. So the bear's down. He's basically saved his father-in-law's life. 
You know, he gets his man card, he's good, all that kind of stuff. Gets his father-in-law, doing a little triage on him, making sure he's okay. Goes to get their backpacks that were up the hill a little bit, gets back down. And while he's there, another bear comes through. A second one, he sees another bear coming up over the ridge. Now his father-in-law, who, like I said, lives there, does this all his life, has a big old, he said he's just got like a bear pistol, right? And so Jeff had it, like doesn't have a safety on it or nothing. And so he starts shooting into this bear and he gets a second bear. He saves his father-in-law twice. Now he's got two bear laying there, right? So the, the radio's on, he's talked to the guys in the boat. They're on their way up the hill. It's about a 15-minute climb for them to get up there. They finally get up there. When they get there, they form a perimeter around his father-in-law to protect him um, because there's another bear <laughs> that comes down. Thankfully, this bear, I don't know if he saw his two buddies or whatever, but he decided, I'm getting out of here. So he took off. Um, helicopter comes in. Life flights off his father-in-law. Um, like I said, it's been in the news. You might have seen it. Um, Father-in-law's had some skin grafts and, and hopefully he'll be okay. Um, Jeff flew back into town. It was really fun as a, as, as a grow group to just sit around and hear him tell a story. And we asked lots and lots of questions. What were you thinking? How did you feel? Did you see your life flash before your eyes? What was it like? You know, all that kind of stuff. But the, but the main thing was sometimes um, in life, we go through things um, that, that sometimes things don't always end well. And those are difficult times, and that's kind of another sermon, but this ended well, and, and God protected Jeff. And it was really fun as we went through the story, because people in the grow group would say, oh, wow, it sounds like God really intervened. It sounds like God really protected you. It sounds like God really you know, helped you be aware. You know, when Jeff describes what it was like, how he just kind of got in the zone and got back and looking for the shot and how God provided the shot. When you go through the whole thing, it just seems like a real God thing. And as a grow group, we were really looking forward to being together, to affirming Jeff. As he told the story, he's sitting there with his, you know, one-year-old daughter and his four-year-old daughter and his wife. He's got a family. We were so thankful that God protected him, that God brought him back to us safely. Um, And it was really cool to be able to rejoice together in what God had done. Now, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, and in the Gospel of Luke, there's been some pretty crazy stories that are going on. A couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, there was this old couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they never had had any kids, and now they're beyond childbearing years, and an angel appears to Zechariah, and your wife's going to have a baby, and he doesn't believe it, so he's mute for the whole pregnancy which is probably really great for her. And, um, and then, you know, and then, um, and you're going to have a son and his name's going to be John and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And then six months later, the same angel appears to a young woman. You know, she was probably 13, 14 years old. She's engaged. She's a virgin. The angel says, you're about to become pregnant before you're married. Uh, while a virgin, you're going to have a boy. His name's going to be Jesus. He's the Messiah. She knows what all this means because she's a, she's a Jew who studied this. She knows it's an incredible thing. And then, the angel says, your relative Elizabeth is pregnant and about to have, and going to have a a child as well. And um, so that's where we pick up the story today, this amazing story. And the first thing that we notice is that um, Mary, as soon as she receives the message, she just wants to be with people who are spiritual, with people who can celebrate with her. And really, she can only think of one person who's going to understand, and that's Elizabeth. Now, we pick up in verse 39. Now, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste. That means she went immediately. She packed her bags immediately, right after the angel gives her the message. 
This becomes important. And she goes into the hill country to a town in Judah. We don't know exactly what town it was, but we know roughly where the location would have been. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. They're related somehow. So she wants to, she immediately seeks out Elizabeth. Now, you have to understand, it's a hundred mile trip, roughly. hundred miles. Now, if I wanted to go somewhere, if I wanted to go somewhere that was 100 miles away, it's pretty easy for me. As soon as I get past the railroad tracks, it's clear sailing. I can get there in an hour and a half easy, okay? I won't tell you how easy, but I can get there pretty, pretty easy, pretty quick. That's not what it's like for her, all right? If she's going to cover 100 miles, all right, it's going to take her four days, four days because she's traveling by foot. She's a 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl. It's 100 degrees. It's an unsafe trip for a girl. We have no record that anybody went with her, that she had an escort. She's traveling alone. I don't know about you, but like I have three kids and, and, um, and when my kids are out at night, when they're out with friends, when they're driving, like I trust them and, 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 and their skills and all that, but I don't go to sleep. Until all of my kids are in my house and the doors are locked and they're in their beds and we're all together. That's when I sleep. So I just try and imagine. I mean, I think about this, this 13, 14 year old girl who's traveling uh, four days, a hundred miles. Why is she in such a hurry to get there? Well, I think it's because Elizabeth is the only person who she knows for sure will understand her story. Now understand, she knows Elizabeth is pregnant. Elizabeth doesn't know that she's pregnant. She was never given that information. But she knows when she sees Elizabeth, Elizabeth is going to celebrate with her. Um, They're going to rejoice together. Elizabeth is going to support her. They'll be able to worship God because, hey, this is a crazy story, right? Have you ever had something happen to you and you're like, well, I'm not sure who I can tell, (laughs) Because people are going to think this is crazy. She knows this is a crazy story. She hasn't told her parents, at least we don't have any reason to think that she has, and she hasn't told Joseph. And when she does, his intention is he's going to divorce her. So she wants to be with Elizabeth because Elizabeth is a person where she won't have to defend it or no, really was an angel or no, I wasn't on crack. She just, you know, she's going to be able to tell this story and Elizabeth will be, I believe you. I believe you. Let's, let's celebrate. The point is this, we all need people like that in our life. We all need spiritual people that we can do life with, that we can talk with. Uh, people who you can just be frank about when it comes to talking about God and what he's done and what he's doing in your life, who you can talk to about your struggles and your joys, people you can worship with and be a spiritual family with. And at Gateway, we have something we call grow groups because we know that while some of you, you just have those relationships naturally, many of us, we don't. So we have grow groups and meet in our homes. And you know, sometimes people tell me, well, I'd, you know, I'd be in a grow group or, or here's, here's what happens a lot. Like when I'm out in the community and this always, this happens a lot. When I'm in the community and I'm at Starbucks and I'm Safeway somewhere and I run into somebody who hasn't been to Gateway for a while, like the first thing they usually say to me isn't like, good to see you or whatever. They're like, oh, we're, we're, we're planning to come to church next week. We've been really busy. You know, there's been like soccer and everyone always feels like they got to, and, and sometimes I'll ask people, well, why don't, why, why don't you go to church? Why don't you get, become part of a girl group? Why don't you seek that out? And a lot of times what I get is, oh, you know, I'm just busy and life is, it's, it's just so hard. It's just so hard. Like if I was in a girl group, if I, if I went to church this weekend, I'd have to get dressed and, you know, I couldn't wear my pajamas and I, and I don't have anything to wear. And then I'd, 
I'd have to, you know, I'd have to get in my, I'd have to go in the garage and hit the garage door opener. And then, you know, I'd have to get in my car and turn the ignition, turn on the seat warmer, you know, for those of you with seat warmers. It's, I have to press the, I have to, which button is it? And then I press it. And then I, I have to back out and I have to hit the garage door opener again. And it's got to close and then it closes. And then, and then I got to drive through Washington, you know, drive through town and I might hit a red light. And, you know, and then I got to get there and I got to get out of my car and go to the front door and it might hail. It's Washington, you know, you never know. We could have a hailstorm. And, and then I got to come in and sit in a comfortable seat and drink coffee. And it's just, it's so hard, you know. And, and I, yeah. It's crazy sometimes that God has given us a spiritual family. Like, I'm just really so busy. But now think of it this way. God has called Mary to to a virgin birth. It's kind of a big deal, right? You don't meet people like that every day. Like, she's going to raise Jesus. I had somebody ask me after the last service, like, what's the deal with Joseph? What happens with Joseph? And, you know, we don't know. We'll talk about that in the future. But um, apparently it looks like Mary's going to raise Jesus as a single mom at least for a while. And, and uh, she's going to need a community. She's going to need people to help her. See, here's the thing. God has called every one of you to do some things. God has a plan for your life. God wants you to be salt. God wants you to be light. God wants you to make a difference. God doesn't want you to just be married. He wants you to bless the person you're married to. God doesn't just want you to have kids. He wants you to be great parents. God doesn't just want you to have neighbors. He wants you to be a blessing. Uh, if you're a student, wherever you are, Right now, here's the thing. You can't do that stuff without God and in a spiritual community. You, as a parent, you're going to face some challenges. I, I can't tell you how many parents of young kids walk in today. How are you doing? I'm tired. You know, I, <laughs> I understand that. It takes, it, it, to be a parent is a challenge. To be a husband and wife in our culture today is a challenge. It's a challenge. You need a spiritual community. You need people who will love you, pray for you, support you. Be there for you. When you go through something in life, they'll get together with you and go, tell us your story, you know? We want to hear about the bear. We want to hear what God did. We want to rejoice with you. The pursuit of community. That's the first thing that comes out to me. But, but now here's where, okay, so I'll just tell you. I didn't say it in the other services. Here's where it gets awkward. And, and, in the, and last night and in the last service, when we got to this point in the sermon, it was quiet. No one made eye contact. And it was just, actually several people asked, what was it like? And I'm like, it was just, quiet. Okay, so here we go. This is, we're going to talk about the sanctity of life. We have to. Um, in the next verse, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, right, so Mary's traveled. She walks in the house. Elizabeth's not expecting her. Six-month pregnant Elizabeth and, and Mary come in contact. The baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's think about this. Elizabeth's too old to be pregnant. Mary's too much of a virgin to be pregnant, right? So, like, all right, I don't know how to put that. So now here's the thing. Mary is, uh, Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John the baptizer. Mary is like, so think about this. Um, if, if we're doing the math, the angel says you're about to become pregnant through the work of the Holy Spirit and she immediately leaves. It's a four-day trip. She's maybe four days pregnant. Think about that, all right? And when they meet up, four-day pregnant Mary meets up with six-month pregnant um, Elizabeth and Elizabeth's baby John leaps in the womb. Like it's something unusual. It's not just a kick or a punch, you know. And now, usually this passage, we're just looking at seven verses today. Usually when um, someone preaches on this passage or writes on this passage, it's usually just the context for what comes next, uh, which is Mary's song. You may be familiar with that. Now, we're treating this separately. We're going to look at Mary's song next week. 
This week, I just want to look at these seven verses. Um, Now, most of the time, they come to seven verses and they'll just say, so it gives us the people involved and the context and where they were. So let's just move on. And that's all you hear about these seven verses. And now let's get to Mary's song, which which is a great passage of scripture. But when you deal with this all on its own, just these seven verses as we're doing today, then it almost always ends up at some point in the sermon being about the sanctity of life Or in our culture, we would say abortion or reproductive rights or whatever we're calling it these days. Now, here's the thing. Everybody I know has a position on abortion. Everybody. I don't know anyone who's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Everyone has a position and almost everybody is pretty passionate about their position. So everyone has a position. Here's the question. Does it come from God? Does it come from the Bible? Where does your position come from? Now, like I said, it's just going to be awkward. So let's just kind of, let's get through this moment, okay? So think about it this way. This is really cool. If you're looking for answers, here's what's cool. Remember that Luke has written this account. And do you remember what Luke is by profession? He's a, he's a physician. He's a doctor, all right? So think about this. He's a doctor who, who's got training, who's got that background. And, and then he's being, he's, he's, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So here's what you have. A doctor writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of an important passage for us. So the question would be, who really knows when life begins? And we would say it's the one who creates life. It's the one who makes life. So let's take a minute and let God, through Luke the doctor, kind of teach us. So here's how we're going to do this. In your notes, I've noted this. It says, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby. Now, the Greek word there is the word brephos. Brephos. It's the Greek word that Luke uses. So what I thought would be interesting is, what if we took every time that Luke uses the word brephos, and it's not very many times, in the, in the Gospel of Luke and in Acts, because he wrote both, and see how he defines the word. What does he mean when he says so here he's talking about uh, pre-born John, all right? Now, a couple verses later, we get Brephos again. For behold, this is Elizabeth talking, when the sound of your greeting, she's talking to Mary, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the, the Brephos, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Again, Brephos is a reference to pre-born John. So, so far, the word Brephos is a reference to a pre-born um, a child. Now, in chapter 2, speaking about Jesus, an angel makes an announcement and says, um, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a brephos, all right, same word, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now the word brephos is a reference to newborn Jesus, born out of the womb, same word for preborn John and, and newborn Jesus. In verse 16, and they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and they found the brephos lying in a manger. Again, a child that's just been born. In Luke 18, uh, he uses the word again. This is an interesting context. Jesus is doing ministry and people were bringing uh, even brephos, even an infants is the word here, to him that he might touch them. Here, brephos isn't talking about 
a, um, a preborn or even a newborn, but little kids, maybe they're crawling, maybe they're taking their first steps and mom takes the baby and you know, brings it up to Jesus and maybe he'll bless the child. So Luke is using the same word for preborns and for newborns and for infants. And then if we go to the book of Acts, he uses it in chapter seven. He says, he, speaking of Pharaoh, dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies, their, uh, their brephos here, so that they would die. Now here, it's a reference to children that have been birthed, that are living, that are healthy. He's talking about infanticide here. Now what's interesting to note is that for Luke, for Dr. Luke writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't use one word for a preborn and one, one word for one that's been born. He used the same word. The implication is their value, their worth, their dignity, it's all the same. It's all the same. You don't draw a line from when they come out of the womb, they're all the same. So this baby in Elizabeth's womb is a human being that's been created by God. Um, six months old, about nine inches long, about one and a half pounds, and in the form, uh, perfect form of a, of a miniature newborn, translucent skin. It has its, uh, it already has its fingerprints and its, and its, you know, footprints and God has a name for it. You know, it's, his name's going to be John. God already has a plan for this child's life. This, this child has the ability to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a boggles the mind to think about these things, at least for me. Now, and here's what's even more interesting to me. What is this six-month-old reacting to? So the Holy Spirit is like filling a six-month-old to react to a child that was conceived three or four days earlier. We're talking about a zygote at this point. If you want to get technical, it's just a small cluster of cells that haven't even attached right um, to the womb, to the wall yet. Not even technically an embryo yet. And yet still recognized through the Spirit as a human being. Enough of a human being that this six-month preborn is, res is responding to it. Now, I said this a couple weeks ago, um, and I'll say it again. I, we are not getting political here. Now, I know we just went through... <laughs> we just went through uh, an election. That was fun. And, um, you know, and again, we don't call it abortion anymore. There's, there's sanctity of life. There's right to life. There's a woman's reproductive rights. So, and I just, I just want to say this. I, my goal is not to be political. I do not want to be political. I just want to be biblical. That's all. And we, we are followers of Christ. So we are first and foremost biblical. That's what we are. We are not culture. We do not take our morality from culture. No matter what party they belong to, no matter what philosophy they are, it's not where we get our ethics. It's not where we get our morality. We get it from the Word of God. We get it from God. I saw some statistics. These came out a couple of years ago, actually, from Planned Parenthood that said this. What, get this. One in six women in America who have abortions, one in six claim to be evangelical Christians. So if one and a half million American women have an abortion each year, that's about 250,000 professing Christian women. Now, all I want to say about this is this. If you're a Christian, you follow Christ, right? Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not a set of rules. Christianity is not a political point of view, all right? It's bigger than all of that. Christianity is about people 
who, for whom Jesus is Lord. We follow him, we listen to him, we get our ethics, our morality, our teaching from him. Now, having said that, I should make this clear. The gospel is very clear that Jesus died for every sin, every sin that a person could ever commit. And, and for those who have had abortions, even if that's you, God forgives you of that through faith in Christ. Absolutely. But here's my point. As, as Christians, we need to derive our morality and our practice from the Bible. That's all I'm saying. It's a biblical issue. And think about this. Mary is a pregnant teenager, right? Imagine if she was alive today. A pregnant teenager who's unmarried, who's illiterate, who's poor, who has visions of grandeur, right? Like she should probably, they'd be like, first of all, you should be on medication and then you need to get rid of that baby. Like what advice would, she, would we give her today? Well, that you're too young. That's going to be a burden. That's going to compromise your future. To which I think we just need to remind ourselves of this. In Romans, Paul says this, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns, to the ways, to the ethics, to the morality, to the teaching of this world or society. We don't get our ethics from society, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What is God's will? It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. All right, so I know that was awkward, but it needed to be said. We are a people who follow Jesus and his word. Amen? Amen. That's what we do. Now, let's move on, okay? So, we come to another interesting part of the text. Um, so these mothers come together and John responds um, before his mom does, right? So that's kind of interesting. John in the womb responds. And many have noted that this is John's first act as a prophet, right? Remember, what's John's ministry going to be? He's the forerunner of the Messiah. He's already doing it through the work of the Spirit in his mom's womb. He's already recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. And then the Holy Spirit fills his mother, Elizabeth, and she begins to prophesy in verse 41. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice. So she's the Spirit speaking through her to Mary. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, this is, this is technically prophecy because the Spirit's speaking through her. Um, prophecy is when God speaks through someone. Um, it happens in the Old Testament a lot. It happens in the New Testament a lot. Sometimes prophecy is where God fills somebody to predict the future. Like we've talked about um, a few weeks ago, Malachi predicted what was going to happen 400 years in the future. We looked at Isaiah last week who predicted something that was going to happen 700 years in the future. That's one part of prophecy. It's actually the, the smaller part of prophecy. It's, it's not usually what prophecy is about. Oftentimes, prophecy is a foretelling um, or a predicting of, of events or a message to like a nation. Sometimes prophecy is a message of God to Israel or to other nations or to Gentiles. Sometimes it's to a family. Sometimes it's to an individual, which is what, what's happening here. The Spirit's speaking, speaking through Elizabeth to give a message to an individual named Mary, and that's prophecy. Now, about 25% of your Bible today was prophetic when it was written. It's about future events or it's a, a personal message of God to an individual or a group of people. Now, people ask me, um, does God still do that today? 
does God still speak through people today? And a lot of, of scholars and Bible teachers and pastors will say, yes, he does. Um, there's no reason that God can't do it. And while this could be a whole nother sermon, we're not going to make it that, but I just want to, here's what you need to understand. There are true prophets and false prophets, okay? So not Every prophecy is true and not every prophet is good. And it's really important for you and I to have discernment, to be able to know the difference because there's a lot at stake. If somebody was to speak, if they were to speak to you what they say is prophecy and it turns out not to be from God. So what does that mean for us? Well, I could give you six or seven things, but let me just really quick mention two. Two things, when somebody is, says they're speaking prophecy to you, right? Now, where does that happen? Uh, most of the time, just well, from my experience and from talking to people in our congregation, it happens when you turn on certain television channels. It happens when you listen to certain radio stations. It happens when you read certain books. And when you go to certain churches, people will stand up and say, um, God gave me a message to give to you, all right? A um, couple things you need to know when people do that. First of all, when people claim to be speaking um, with the voice of God, it must always be tested against the Bible, against what we have from the word of God. If a prophet says something that conflicts with the Bible, they're not a true prophet, just pure and simple because God does not contradict himself. And the Bible is the word of God. So I hear this sometimes. I hear people on TV. I read articles from people and they'll say, God gave me this message and I'll look at it and it contradicts the Bible. Read a guy the other day, read a guy the other day who said Jesus wasn't, that God revealed to him that Jesus was only a man and not God. This is a man who pastors a large church down in California. They claim to be Christians. And he told his church, God spoke to me and said, Jesus was just a man. He wasn't God. And that means that all of us can be like Jesus. Okay, that's where you turn off the channel. That's where you walk out of the building. You dust off your feet and you go, you know, you move on. Um, the second thing is this. A true prophet is 100% accurate 100% of the time. So when it comes to prophets, people who claim to be prophets, you need to keep score, right? And if they ever get it wrong, then, then, then they're not a true prophet. Now, I want to be really kind of polite about this, but I'm just telling you, there are some nut jobs on TV, all right? Like on the radio, any whack job can, can find people to pay for them to be on TV, on the radio, to write books. So when, when, when you turn on the television and you hear some guy or read some book and some, some nut says, oh yeah, Jesus spoke to me and he said, he's coming back on February 30th, you know? Like he's coming back and he's gonna come and then February 30th comes and goes and he's like, oh no, wait a minute, I got the moon phases wrong. I gotta recheck my astrology chart. No, I meant he's coming back on September 31st, right? Something like that. Like people ask me, what do we do with that? And I'm like, well, first of all, he needs a calendar. And secondly, um, you gotta stop listening to that guy. Turn him off. Well, I know, but sometimes he says stuff that's good. Doesn't matter. You're done with him. You turn off the channel. You don't go back to that guy because a real prophet of God is, is right 100% of the time. Or you might remember, I'm, I'm dating myself, but back in the 80s, right? For those of you who were alive in the 80s, you can remember the 80s, right? Remember? Now, again, I'm just saying this is public record. He spoke it to the whole world. So, but you remember Oral Roberts and a lot of people like, like, oh, Oral, he did some great things. Yeah, but he also said, that he saw a 900-foot Jesus that told him that if people didn't send him $8 million by March, do you remember this? That God was going to take him home. 
God was going to take him out. And I remember at the time, there was a whole group of us going, we're not sending him any money because we just want to see what happens, you know? (laughs) We want to see how this goes down. Like, it seems like a win-win for Oral, no matter what happens, right? He gets $8 million. It's when he doesn't, he gets to go home and see Jesus. But if you remember what happened, he didn't get $8 million. And then he said, actually, I got the date wrong. And he tweaked it. And right, that's where you turn off the channel. That's when you throw away the books. I'm just saying, you don't mess with that stuff. Why? We're too busy to mess around with false prophets. When I turn on the TV, as I, as I do, and I hear guys on TV, and they're, they're preaching, you know, the guy, they're preaching the word, and the organist is going in the background, and they're wiping their brow, and when they say things like, God, God spoke to me, I hear this all the time, God spoke to me, and here's what, God gave me a word, and the word is this, he told me to tell you to send me some money, and if you send me some money, we, we'll call it seed money, if you send me some seed money, right, God's going to bless you uh, 20-fold or 40-fold, By the way, if you ever hear a guy promise you 20-fold or 40-fold, here's what you need to know. Don't settle for that because I've heard guys promise 100-fold. So you should just hold out, right? But here's the thing. Any guy, any woman who goes on TV and says, God through the Spirit spoke to me and said, all you people who I've never met and I don't know and all you different people living out there in TV land, God gave me the same message for every one of you. Okay, I'm just telling you, the guy's a nut job. Just turn off the television all right, and just find another station or someone else to listen to who sticks to the word of God. All right, so just, just my advice. All right, so let's, let's move on now that I've ranted. Uh, so it says, Mary exclaimed with a loud voice. I'm just saying, folks, you gotta have, you gotta have some discernment because there are people out there who want to take advantage of you. All right, so uh, now I'm done twice. Uh, so she exclaimed with a loud voice. All right, so she's, yeah, so I love the, the idea is, you got a picture there's Mary standing there. There's Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is yelling at Mary. It's loud, right? Elizabeth, Mary's like, I'm standing right here, you know? But it's the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal. A lot of us, when we worship God, we're like this. We're like this, you know? You know what? That's not holy. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that game. When he, when he stirs up worshiping people, it's big. It's loud. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Why? Because God is big. Because God is great. And she says, blessed are you among women. So now there's kind of two levels of blessing here for Mary. One is she's pregnant and pregnancy in itself is a blessing. In Psalm 127, it says, behold, children are a, not too bad. Now in the last two services, it was really iffy. All right. I don't know. I was like, parents are like, you know, uh, all right. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is a reward, right? <laughs> Children are a blessing. You, you know that. When you wake up, you'll realize that. Children are a blessing, right? Now, but in our culture, children are a burden and children are a responsibility and, right, you put on weight and you get cankles, right? I said that like last, I said that in the first service and some guy walked out in the foyer and he asked a lady, what's a cankle, right? Like, I <laughs> that is. <laughs> and actually she said, I think you have cankles, but that's a whole different story. And they, and they keep you up at night and moody and teething and eat all your food and right to cut insurance money and all that stuff. But really what he says is children are a blessing. I have three kids. My kids are a blessing. Every one of my kids are a blessing. In fact, originally when I was writing the sermon and I have notes in here and I was going to tell you how my kids are a blessing, that's ridiculous. I couldn't even put into words. We don't have enough time to tell you what a blessing my kids are. And I'm sure for you who have kids. Kids are just, they are a gift from God. 
I was thinking last night, our oldest son, he's 21 now, um, graduated from college, but he has this ritual every night. This is my son, my beloved son whom I love, but he can't help himself every night. When I'm in bed and all settled down, he finds our cat. We have a cat. He finds our cat wherever she is and he brings her into our room and puts her at the foot of my bed, right where my leg, right where my feet are and pets her until she starts to fall asleep. And then he smiles and walks out and closes the door every time. I love my kids, but sometimes, you know what I mean? They're a blessing though. But at Gateway, we believe that kids are a blessing. Amen? Amen. We love pregnancies. We love it when women are pregnant. We love it when, when, when there's newborns. We love, I always tell people, like if people are visiting our church and they have a newborn, I always tell them, if you're not comfortable with complete strangers coming up and scooping your kids out of your arms, you should probably just turn around and leave right now because we're that kind of church. We love babies. We love infants and toddlers and, and teenagers. And our church is full of amazing moms and dads. Children are a blessing. But, but Mary is specially blessed. She's specially blessed because her son will be Jesus. So this is kind of a, even more of a blessing. In fact, what, she's really, what, what Elizabeth is really saying here is you are going to be the most blessed woman to ever walk the face of this earth. So I was thinking about that this week. Like she gets to give birth to Jesus. She gets to care for Jesus, feed Jesus, but she gets to hear his first words. That would have been cool. <laughs> I always wonder what they were, you know. Uh, but she gets to hear his first words. She gets to have one-on-one -on -one time. She gets to have lunches with Jesus. So I was thinking this, this is what struck me this week. I don't know if you've ever, like, you've, like, have questions for God. Have you ever been like, when I get to heaven, I got a lot of questions for God. Like, why did you do this? And why did you do this? And how did you create this? And why did that happen? And what was Moses thinking? And was Abraham, did he lose his mind, right? Now just think, every day at lunch, Mary got to actually ask those questions. Like every day, it'd be like, oh, Jesus, I have another question for you. I know you're only seven, but I have a question for you, you know? Since you are God incarnate, God of the flesh. Like, how cool would that be to have Jesus at your dinner table, right? You know, like she got to raise Jesus, the son, of God. She got, to, she got to hear him teach. She got to see him in action. But there was also, as we'll see, there were, there were challenges. She, she had to watch her son rejected and crucified on a cross. Her son. But then she got to see him risen from the dead. The most blessed woman to ever live on this earth. Well, we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come, but I want you to notice where the text goes. This text goes really the only place it can go. This story goes, and the, we'll again be expounding on this in detail next week. But there's only one place this can really reasonably go. And that is it's got to end in worship, right? So like when we had Girl Group the other night and, and Jeff was telling the story about the bear and the gun and the shooting and all that. And now God protected him. It can only go one place. It always goes to worship. When we think about what God has done. We think about how God is blessed. So here we have these two women and, and they're sharing their, oh, the angel appeared to me. Oh, what was, he, what was he wearing? Did he scare you too? Oh yeah, you know, so they're telling their stories about what happened. And in verse 40, uh, 43, Elizabeth says, and why is, is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Remember, Elizabeth didn't know that Mary was going to be the mother of the Messiah. She didn't know that. And she, when, when Mary came to her house, she didn't know that Mary would be coming to her house. She didn't know this. Now, in that culture, the younger person would always honor the older when they would meet up. But here, the opposite happens. This is, this is highly unusual. And Elizabeth calls Jesus in the womb Lord. And she's the first one, the first human being to do this. 
Physically speaking, he's just a small division of cells, and yet he's already the eternal son of God, Emmanuel, who's come to bless and to serve and to teach and to shepherd and to save. Elizabeth hasn't seen Jesus do a miracle yet. She hasn't, uh, she hasn't heard him teach. It wouldn't even occur to her that he would walk on water. She can't even imagine what the Sermon on the Mount would sound like. She doesn't know that he'll die on a cross and rise from the dead. She doesn't know any of that, but she's already worshiping him. Already worshiping him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has stirred up her heart. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, she says, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. The future prophet John comes into the area of, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. And John leaps and recognizes Jesus. As one writer said, the Holy Spirit turns unborn John into the first in utero worship leader, <laughs> right? So this is like, it's already, it's going here, right? And here's what I was reminded of. We look at this and go, well, how could John um, respond to Jesus as Lord and, 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 and worship him? Apart, he can't see Jesus. He can't hear Jesus. He's in the womb. Well, it was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that did that. Here's what it reminded me of. We forget sometimes that the same thing that was true of John is true of us, right? We don't worship God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Worship is spiritual. Worship is not natural. It's supernatural. It's not a humanly fueled activity. It's not something that you do apart from God. No one calls Jesus Lord apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. No one worships God. No one worships, worships Jesus apart from the work, work of the Spirit. What we've been doing this morning early with the band, that was not like a great big group effort karaoke session, you know? It's like, that. no, what happened earlier was spiritual. It wasn't something like, well, we all come, we'll sing some songs, so maybe God will like us, you know, and, and accept us and let us into heaven. What we did earlier was we didn't... <sighs> For lack of a better term, what we did earlier was we responded to God. No one gave God anything. We only reflected back to God what God has done in us. No one worships God on their own. No one. When we worship God, it's because the Holy Spirit has done something inside of us. He's stirred our hearts. He has stirred our souls. If when we were singing this morning, if it was coming from your heart, then you should be encouraged because that was the spirit working in you. If as we've been going through the word this morning, if there's something in you that's been, that's been grabbing onto God's word and been in awe of God's word and been enjoying God's word, you should be encouraged because that's the Holy Spirit working inside of you. In verse 45, she says, and blessed is she, Elizabeth speaking to Mary. And blessed is Mary because she believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So notice the progression here. Here's what happened. An angel came to Mary and an angel said, I have a message for you from God. Here's the message. And Mary said, I believe it. Whatever God says, let's do that. And because of that, God blessed Mary and now she's with Elizabeth and the, the Holy Spirit's working and they're worshiping God. That basically is a pattern for worship for, for all of us, right? How does worship work? Well, first of all, God speaks to us, right? God speaks to us. You, you read his word, you heard his word, the spirit spoke to you. God speaks to you and that word goes down inside of you and, and the Holy Spirit turns that into something, 
turns it into awe, turns it into joy, turns it into wondering, turns it into questions. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. You'll say, why is it that some people hear the word of God and nothing, and some people hear it and it's stirred? It's the Spirit who's working in you. And as the Spirit stirs that up, then you have a choice to make. What will you do with it? Here's my advice as I read the text. Do what Elizabeth does. Does Elizabeth do, you know, she like, oh, well, I could, ooh, I could feel the spirit, but you know, we don't, we don't, this, we don't do, we don't, we do this, right? And I don't want to speak too loud and I don't want to get too worked up. And Elizabeth's like, no, man, when the spirit leads, I'm going to let the spirit take me where the spirit wants to go. I'm going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pattern for worship. God comes, God works, God stirs. We believe, we believe Jesus is God. We believe he came to seek and save the lost. We believe that he died for our sin. We believe that he gives grace, that he forgives, that he loves, that he blesses, that he rose from the dead. And the Holy Spirit stirs our soul and we just give, we just worship God. We just let that go. That's God working in us. It's not natural, it's spiritual. It's, it's a miracle. Now next week we'll look at Mary's response because she's gonna sing a song to God. In fact, let me, just, let me just show you. We're not going to expound on this today, but here's a couple of, couple of things she says. And Mary, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's worship talk there, all right? So she's, gonna, she's like, in my, in my heart, God's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Is God actually getting bigger? No, but her view of God is getting bigger. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's rejoicing. It's worship. She can't help but God's doing something in her. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary is blessed, but I would argue you are blessed too. You are here today as a blessed person, right? And she says, I'm gonna celebrate that. For God has done great things for me. God's done great things for you, by the way, as well. And his name is holy. And his mercy is, notice, his mercy is not just for her, but for those who fear him from generation to generation to generation. That's you and that's me today. God's mercy, God's grace is here for those of us who love him, who fear him. So here's my question, right? What has God been doing in your life? How has God blessed you? Has God saved you? Has God forgiven you? Do you worship him for that? Are you thankful for that? This is kind of a good week to talk about this, right? It's kind of the national week of Thanksgiving. But here's a good question. Are you thankful? Are you grateful for what God has done? Has Jesus saved you? Has he blessed you? Has God blessed you relationally? Maybe you're sitting next to a blessing today. Have you thanked God for that, for that blessing? Maybe you're gonna go home today and there's gonna be some little blessings in your house, you know? Maybe you're gonna go to work tomorrow and you're working with some blessings. You live next door to some blessings. Are you thankful for those blessings? Have you thanked God for those blessings? Have you worshiped him for those blessings? For some of you, God has blessed you financially. Do you worship him for that? Have you said thank you for that? Maybe you have a roof over your head and food on the table today and clothes on your back. And maybe he's been speaking to you today. Have you said thank you? Have you worshiped him? Maybe he's answered prayer. Now see, at this point in the story, Mary, Elizabeth, they, they're only starting to understand who Jesus is right? They haven't, they're just beginning to enter into deep worship. You and I, we already know the story. We know about a birth. We know about his life. We know about his miracles that they don't know about yet. His teaching, his death, his resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, how Christianity survived these 2,000 years and flourished. Here's my prayer for us this week, that like it was for Elizabeth and like it was for Mary, that we would have hearts filled with worship because God has been good to us. 
because God has blessed us. That this week we would be full of thanksgiving with overflowing joy and gratefulness for God. So here's the thing. God doesn't just want you to know him. God wants you to know him. And to know him is to be in awe of him and to celebrate him. Folks, my prayer for you this week is that this will be the greatest Thanksgiving week you have ever had because the Holy Spirit has filled you with God's love and with God's joy and with God's peace. I know life can be tough. I know that it can be hard, but God is good to us. Let's celebrate him.